Good to see you today. All right. Well, Stanford psychologist back in 1972, he conducted an experiment with children called the marshmallow experiment. Does that sound like something you'd like to be a part of, maybe? And in this experiment, they had preschoolers, and preschoolers were shown a marshmallow uh, and a pretzel, and they were asked to pick which one they preferred. Would you rather have the marshmallow or the pretzel? Afterward, the experimenter would tell the participants that they had to leave the room, but that they would be right back, leaving the child alone. And they were instructed that they, that they could eat their favorite treat if they waited for the experimenter to come back. So, you know, but I'm thinking to myself, they could just eat it then. But anyway, but they said this, but they, they, they told that they could signal the experimenter to come back at any time. But if they did that, if they made the experimenter come back, then they would get to eat the treat that they didn't choose. Right? So that seems like a lot of, lot of instructions. But anyway, uh, for this test, both treats were left in plain sight for the child to see. Another test, the treats were covered up. And one group was actually given a slinky to distract themselves as they waited. This was a thing. You may know what a slinky is. Anyway, some of you do. Google it if you don't. But um, uh, another group of children weren't offered treats as rewards at all. And this experiment resulted in several insights, including the following. First, that children who were given distracting objects performed much better than those who weren't given distracting objects. We probably know that if you have children at home, right? Uh, and children who were more willing to wait for longer periods of time, uh, they, were, they were more willing to wait for longer periods of time when they had the promise of a reward. And a young child's ability to wait was better when the treats were kind of hidden, when they were covered up. And they found that kids who waited for longer periods of time were, were also found to have better academic performance and stress management as teenagers. And they had these same children come back 30 years later, and they uh, evaluated them again, and they found out that those who had waited longer were found to have better health at that time, and that the academic and the health findings are not as compelling because it was a small sample of children there in Stanford, but the insights and strategies help kids even today and are relevant even today, because it is, it is what we call delayed gratification. Well, what is delayed gratification. One definition says this, that delayed gratification is the ability to resist the temptation of instant pleasure. And instead of giving in to temptation, you hold out in the hopes of getting a better or a longer lasting future reward. Delayed gratification, also referred to as deferred gratification sometimes, is difficult because we're wired to not only seek pleasure, we're also wired to avoid pain. For instance, it's less painful to zone out during a conference call than it is to listen attentively, right? Amen? It's also less painful to avoid a workout than to go through with the workout, even though going through with the workout improves your health in the long run. Instant gratification is the avoidance of working out altogether. It's the avoidance of Pain. But when we choose to feel a little bit of pain, what we can call is discomfort, we know that the more we, that we may feel more pleasure in the future, this is delayed gratification. Being a Christian often means delaying 
a good portion of our gratification. It's wonderful to be a Christian. There are many blessings in Christ, many immediate blessings in Christ, but we know that this is not all there is. That the best is yet to come, especially in eternity, and that's what we're looking at today, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17. Luke says this, And he, Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their, pro- their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Father in heaven, as we continue to worship here today, Lord, we thank you for this passage of scripture that you've given us multiple times in different different, uh, uh, ways in Luke and Matthew and our gospels. Well, we look at this, this passage today, and, and sometimes this can be confusing to us. So enlighten our minds as to what it is you are trying to get to us today. Show us each individually, Lord, what it is that you want us to hear. And not only individually, but as a church, as we move forward, Lord, with, with being a church amongst corner, move forward with our, with our vision of being grounded and, and growing, Lord, and, 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 and just going and giving and all these things you've called us to be and do, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would show us what we, as we leave today, Lord, how we can continue to, to understand when there might be times where you're calling us to, de- to deny some worldly pleasures for eternal ones, Lord. And show us what that looks like. Father, I pray that uh, my words reflect your heart today. Lord, I pray that you fill me with your spirit this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you today three truths about delaying worldly gratification today. Three truths about delaying worldly gratification in our spiritual life. Number one, we are to focus on our eternal needs over our temporal needs. Our our, our eternal needs over the needs of the day. The temporal needs of the day. Not that they're not important, but we need to put more focus on the eternal ones. Look at verse 17. It says that Jesus came down with them, that being his inner circle of disciples, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. This section picks up with Jesus about to teach a large group of people. 
And there's really two or three divisions, how you look at it. Luke divides it into at least two groups, maybe a third. You had Jesus' close disciples, but then you had a great crowd of his disciples, which were the believers. And then you had the great multitude, which includes everyone else. And it says that they were coming from all over the region. Well, why? Why were they coming there? Why were they there in the first place? It tells us in verse 18, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So they wanted to hear him speak and preach and teach, but also some, if not all, or, or a portion, wanted to be healed of their diseases and said, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits also were cured. So Jesus was teaching about the coming kingdom of God, and he also was helping people by performing miracles and signs, which proved that they could trust what he was saying. It proved he was who he said he was that he had the power of God in him. And it tells us in verse 19 that all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. That's how you know he was God. Every person that came to him for healing, he healed. Can you imagine that scene? What that would have been like? Healing every people who had been born blind, people who had diseases, People who were lame, couldn't walk, all sorts of things. People who had emotional distress, people who were demonized, just came out of them like that. Nothing had ever seen, been seen like that before. He was healing them all. For some, that's all they wanted in, in, uh, from Jesus, was to be healed, and then they left and went their own way. But others maybe came for healing. Maybe they just came to hear about the kingdom of God, because people will come to Jesus for different reasons they'll come to jesus for different reasons some wanted the immediate help some wanted the long-term spiritual help perhaps some wanted both dl moody was just starting in the ministry the evangelist and he heard a preacher make this statement he said the world has yet to see what god can do with one man fully surrendered to him and moody said by god's grace i hope to be that man the disciples were committed to Jesus being the center of their lives. They had left their jobs. They were following him. They were delaying the immediate rewards of life, the immediate gratification of life to be with Jesus right then and there. And there are other believers who were wanting to hear more about the kingdom of God. But the multitude, the majority, and this is important, the majority we're only interested in what Jesus could do for them in the right now, in the present. In the same way, we can still see a natural organization of people in that way. We have those who seek to make Jesus the center of their lives and those who are growing in their faith and understanding what it is to follow Jesus. And then we have the crowd that were just interested in what religion or church or God or someone can do for them. They focus on their needs of the moment rather their needs of the future. And God has called us to, yes, understand that the moment needs are important, but more our, our eternal needs are more important than all of it. So we are going to uh, focus on our eternal needs over our temporal needs. And secondly, because of this, we can enjoy God now. Enjoying him now will result in joy later. That's the great thing about enjoying God now. We don't have to delay the gratification of enjoying God now. Enjoying God now will result in joy 
later. This section is often referred to as the Beatitudes. Beatitudes were a common ancient literary technique among both Hebrews and Greeks. So he was speaking something they, they, were, they understood. But what made these different was they were stated in a paradoxical form. In other words, it sounds like something's opposite. It's like something is, doesn't make quite sense. Matthew actually includes more of these in his account. Luke chooses to include just a few. But the blessed here in the Beatitudes are actually not who would think are the blessed. The blessed here are the poor. The blessed are the hungry. The blessed are the sad and the persecuted. Some of you are thinking, I'm really blessed today, right? But this seems like a paradox. How can someone be poor and hungry and sad and persecuted and be happy? The other question is, why would they be happy? True blessedness is not found in just a long life or just health or just wealth or any other benefits. True blessedness, Jesus is saying here, is found in possession of the kingdom of God. If you have Jesus, you are truly blessed. The first beatitude states that true blessedness is found in the kingdom of God. And then the next three statements interpret what it means to possess the kingdom of God. Because blessed has this idea of happiness or good fortune to those who have received God's salvation. That's his definition of happiness. But he defines it in such a way as to flip upside down what society thinks will bring happiness. So he says first that those who are poor are actually blessed. He says this, verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now look who he's talking to now. He says he's talking to his disciples, not the multitude. He's talking to his disciples, those who are following him. Because many of them were poor. Many of them had left jobs and everything to follow him. And he says that you are poor, you are blessed. Matthew adds the phrase poor in spirit. Now he's not saying that financial poverty is in itself the source of happiness. We know that to not be true, amen? We, we know that's not, that is false. Poverty brings a lot of challenges. It brings a lot of hardships. Poverty can act as a kind of slavery by which some people who are born into poverty can't ever quite get out of. They can't ever quite escape. But for some of his disciples, like the fishermen who sold all they had to follow Jesus, they learned what it was like to depend not on their business as fishermen, and not, but they learned on what it was like to depend on God alone and not the false security of money. Money gives the illusion of security. But it can be taken away at any moment. Jesus, however, offers true security, and he says those who realize that their true security are in me are truly blessed, truly happy. Those who depend completely on God possess the kingdom of God. We can have wealth and we can have, we can have things and money, but we have to understand that that's not where our security lies. Security lies in trusting God. And that's what he's saying. Blessed are those who have nothing because they have to rely on me, is what, God, is what Jesus says. Look what he says in verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Hunger, like poverty, is another atrocity which we all hope will never happen to us. We've all seen pictures of children with, with bloated bellies in Africa and in parts of the world where there is extreme hunger. And 
That doesn't seem like a blessing. We've all seen the commercial for the price of a cup of coffee. You can keep this child alive for a day. We've seen those, those and that doesn't seem like a blessing. Why are they considered blessed? And Jesus says because their satisfaction doesn't come from food. Because they have no food, their satisfaction comes from the Lord. One day they will hunger no more. Because they are in the kingdom of God. They're hungry now, but one day they will be eternally satisfied, as all will be who have Jesus. He says also, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Those who are Christians, we understand what it is to weep now. Why is that? One scholar puts it this way. He said this, Christians weep because of their own sins and their sorrows. But they also weep because they are sensitive to the injustices and wrongs which they see in their world. Christians weep because of racism. Christians weep because of the exploitation of the poor, the, the tragic slavery of people bound by drugs and alcohol. We weep because of the heartache and suffering of mankind. The saddest thing for me to ever see is a child, especially a young one, suffering. We weep because of that, because we know something's not right about it, it's, it's wrong, and we know that there's a God who has died for it, and will make it right one day, but Christians re weep now because we know that there will be a day where God will prevail, and we'll be laughing and enjoy. But those who are not weeping now, as we'll get to in a minute, they don't see this idea. But Jesus is not done, he says in verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. He's referring to those Christians who have been kicked out and expelled from the Jewish synagogues and the community because he says, you are just like me. And he says in verse 23, rejoice in that day, that day where Christ comes back. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great. In heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. He says, jump. Some of you can't jump anymore. That's okay. I can't jump as high as I used to be able to. But he says there will be a day where you can do that. And why? Because great is your reward in heaven. You may not have what you want now today or what you even need, what you think you need today. The Lord will provide for you, but in one day you'll have it all. Christians who find their identity in Christ, he says, will be no different than the old Testament prophets who were rejected by their people. So we rejoice because this means we are truly in Christ. Persecution proves that we will be in heaven. If we don't have any type of pushback from the world following Christ, we need to make sure we check who we're following. It proves that we are truly in Jesus, and that is worth leaping for joy over. See, God is the one who gives the kingdom. God is the one who satisfies the hungry. God is the one who, who causes laughter. God is the one who rewards the persecuted. And all the inequities and all the injustices of life will be reversed in the kingdom of God. So we enjoy God now so that we can fully enjoy him later. And number three, ignoring God now results in pain later. Ignoring God now results in pain later. Look at verse 24. Jesus comments then on the opposite. 
he says that these are those who have not delayed their spiritual gratification. Verse 24, he says this, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now, it's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to be rich. In fact, it's a responsibility to be wealthy. God holds you responsible for everything that you have. Jesus is saying, though, that those who only have wealth and do not have God don't recognize the poverty they are really in. Why do you think so many celebrities who have all the acclaim in the world, they got all the Instagram followers, they got all the, they got all the notoriety, they got all the money in the world, some of them are still go to bed at night by themselves and they get hooked on all kinds of drugs and things like that. They have it all. They have everything the world says you need to be happy, but they don't have Jesus. Jesus says that's a woe to them. They don't have what they really need. They're ignoring God now. The pain comes later. Verse 25, he says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Those who are full now are those who, who get their satisfaction in the present. They don't think about the future. They spend everything they have on pleasure and joy. They don't realize that one day the bill comes due. And that's what he's saying. The spiritual bill will come due one day. You can live and do what you want and ignore God, but at some point there is a day of accounting. And God says you'll be hungry then if you don't have Jesus. They don't hunger for what God Provides. And this is why he says a woe. He says this is a sad day for those who aren't following God. And then he says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Those who enjoy their lives now and don't weep over their sins. They don't weep over the sins of others. They don't weep over the sins of the world. They don't see how the world's broken, how Jesus came for the world. Those who don't see it now, who are only enjoying their best life now, he says, woe to you. Because you will, there will come a day where you will mourn and you will weep, but you'll be mourning and weeping for yourself. Jesus says, verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. That's not what we want in life. We don't want all people speaking well of us as Christians, and we're not doing it right. Now, we don't need to be intentionally antagonistic and intentionally mean and intentionally do things that make people hate us. What he's saying is that if all people are speaking well of you, you might be just like the false prophets. He says the false prophets are the priests in the society who did not challenge the worldliness that Jesus was mentioning. And if the world likes a prophet, it's probably a false one. Jesus says it's always been that way, and it'll always be that way. In these woes, Jesus states that the truly miserable in life are those who think they have everything they need. But they don't have Jesus. And that's all they rely on. One day they will weep. Because the present, this right now, is not everything that Jesus wants you involved in. It's part of what your life is, but not everything. He wants you to look to the eternal. Well, 86-year-old Jim Lipscomb is a die-hard Cincinnati Bengals fan. The Bengals, of course, are in the Super Bowl tonight today if you didn't know and 86 year old Jim Lipskin has had season tickets since 1968 when the Bengals first started they were I guess a new team back then 
and he's been a, he's been a, a, a fan ever since. He's written letters to the team. He, he chants the team's cheers. He used to have season tickets. They didn't have any anymore. But the Spingles have not won a playoff game. Until this year, they have not won a playoff game since 1991. That's before Colby was born, I think. I don't know, right? Long time, right? Long time. And last week when the Bengals won and went to the Super Bowl for the first time since 91 when Boomer Sison was their quarterback, you might remember that, some of you, first time, this, this man Jim, 86-year-old Jim, cried tears of joy. His daughter filmed him sitting there in his chair crying. Man, if Gamecocks ever won the National Championship, I would be crying like a baby. I know exactly, exactly what is going on here. I, could, I, I can relate. And when the Bengals beat the Chiefs, and last week's game, they, they filmed it, and they put it on Facebook. It went viral. Everybody shared it. It was on CBS News. You might have heard about it. Well, the granddaughter posted it, and she then created a GoFundMe site to help raise money to try to send her grandfather to the Super Bowl. She's like, well, everybody's going to like this. Maybe I can get some people to do this. And today, in the in billion-dollar stadium in Los Angeles, brand-new gorgeous stadium in L.A., they raised $42,000, which will get about half a ticket, by the way. I'm joking. <laughs> about five or $6,000 a pop. His family secured him these tickets. He'll go with his daughter, with his son-in-law and granddaughter. And uh, he became known as Cincinnati's grandpa. And the, uh, the granddaughter said she was blown away at the response to people on social media, all the nice words they had to say, that it restored her faith in humanity. And now he's getting ready to go to the Super Bowl, and he's going to be there and enjoy it. And ask him he's going to win. He said, of course the Bengals are going to win. But he's going to be there, and he's going he's to enjoy it. And I can just imagine him sitting there, taking it all in, right? A suffering fan, and now he's sitting in the Super Bowl. Now, imagine if he had been to multiple Super Bowls, seen a bunch of wins. Imagine if he had seen his team win Super Bowls every year or had seen this before. It would be different than today. Amen. Be different. <laughs> All those years of suffering, finally he has his day. What an experience that would be for him. But as wonderful as that experience will be for him, it'll be nothing for the Christian in the day of eternity. It'll be nothing for the Christian when we see Jesus face to face. And that excitement that man will have will pale, and it will be extremely exciting. It will pale in comparison to the day of eternity for those believers who have delayed the gratification of the world and put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is what God has called us to be about. As great as this life is, we get glimpses of it every now and then, of how wonderful heaven will be, but nothing compares what it will be like. Heavenly Father, as we close our time together today, we thank you so much for, for who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we thank you that we see stories like we just heard about and we get just a, just a slice of the joy of heaven as we see in people's faces. And even though the Super Bowl is a worldly thing, we can see how you've created us to be joyful. And we can just imagine what it will be like to see you one day. And that joy won't just last for three and a half hours on a Sunday, Father. That joy will last 
day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year for eternity. There will never be a day where there's, that's, that's worse than the other. Every day will continue just to improve and get better, Lord, because you are a God that is perfect. Father, if there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you, that they would do so today. That they would stop living their best life right now. They would stop just doing what's good for them. And they would do what's really good for them. They turn from their sins and place their faith in you. They would, they would become a child of God. We thank you for Jesus who has made these things possible through his death on the cross, through his burial, through his resurrection on Easter Sunday. He's purchased eternal life to those who would turn from their sins and place their faith in him. So we pray that the, uh, those that need to do that today would do so. And for those in here, Lord, that have been walking with you for some time or for years, that we would always remember the decision we made is one that you give us more grace every day. But it's one that we know that no matter what we deny now, there'll be a day of reward. And we can just praise your name for that day. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.